Before we get started on Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine, we'd like to tell you about the Miracle Moments Luncheon to benefit Easter Seals UCP Port Health. Earfluence, which produces this podcast, is a proud sponsor, and we'd like you to join us May 1st, 2024 at 1130 Eastern Time at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cary. This event helps raise funds and awareness for the life-changing direct services provided to more than 40,000 children, adults, and families living with disabilities, mental health, and substance challenges so they can live their best lives. We'll put more information on Easter Seals and the luncheon in the show notes, but again, that's Wednesday, May 1st at 1130 at the Hilton Garden Inn in Cary, and we hope to see you there. Attention bourbon lovers, are you ready for a taste sensation like no other? Old Raleigh Distillery, recently awarded Best Micro Distillery in the U.S., invites you to experience the art of whiskey blending firsthand. Located just east of Raleigh in downtown Zebulon, the distillery specializes in premium, micro-batched bourbon, and limited-release whiskeys. Visit the tasting room Tuesday through Sunday to savor a wide variety of whiskeys, specialty cocktails, wine, and beer. And don't miss a chance to peek behind the curtain with a tour of the blending operation every Saturday and Sunday at 1 and 2 p.m. For more information and to plan your visit, visit oldraleydistillery.com. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Old Raleigh Distillery for exclusive updates and behind-the-scenes content. Old Raleigh Distillery, where every sip tells a story. I think it has really reinforced that I know gin in a way that is unique, and I think you see it in kinship, right? So kinship, the botanical recipe in there, that build is mine. I was really proud of building that that gin, understanding, now having been a judge for a couple of years, of where I wanted to take it. You're listening to Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine. I'm your host, Gina Stevens. You may know Raleigh Magazine, but what you may not know is how we get our stories. It's all inside baseball. You'd be surprised what people will tell us. Our MO is telling stories no one else is telling. So this podcast is where you get the inside access to stories you won't read anywhere else. So let's dive into some of Raleigh Magazine's biggest stories. There's no doubt I can credit my love affair with Jen to Melissa Katrenzik. And I know I'm not alone in that. Melissa's CEO and co-owner with her husband, Lee, of Durham Distillery. Ten years later, in addition to three conniption gins, there's a vodka, chocolate liqueurs, canned cocktails, and a cocktail bar called Corpse Survivor. She's the first and so far the only U.S. distiller inducted into the Gin Guild. She's recognized as a gin judge nationally and internationally, which sounds like more fun than I could handle. Melissa's with me today to talk about all things gin and maybe a few other things. Melissa, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As I started thinking about this, I was trying to remember how we met. And I don't know if you remember this, but I got tipped off. Uh that as a distiller, you were having a hard time getting your products, your first product, into ABC. So that would have been 2015. Yes. Yes. Uh Which is the year that I launched Raleigh Magazine. Yep. And so we hop on a phone call, and I remember thinking after that, badass, first of all. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I was like, okay, so she's been a marketing executive in the high-level pharmaceutical world, and now she's navigating ABC. Yeah. And thank goodness I had that background of navigating FDA before taking on ABC and federally the TTB. Like it's, yeah, it's trial by fire to start your own company and being a spirits distiller. 
I mean, I get that it was 2015. Yeah. But you're also a female distiller. Right. A female distiller that's focused on gin in the South. Uh, so there were, there were definitely some learning curves that I did not anticipate. First and foremost, I think it was really that we were still one of the newcomers to the distilling scene in North Carolina in 2015. So there were a few, but they were more so focused on whiskey or they might have been focused on moonshine. <laughs> there were not many gin distillers in the country, let alone in North Carolina. For those of you who don't know, um, as I said, Melissa was a, a top executive in marketing for a pharmaceutical <laughs> company, and her husband, Lee, mm -hmm. was a chemist. Yeah, pharmaceutical chemist yeah. for approximately 25 years. Yeah. So we both came out of pharmaceuticals, and then I also had done advertising agency, mm -hmm. right? So I cut my chops very early after graduating from college in digital marketing. I was really, as the internet was even being absorbed, as how do you even do business online? Um, so I don't even want to talk about the fact that I was a coder <laughs> at 22, and I was horrible at it, absolutely horrible at it. But I think that what I always loved about it is taking business issues or business problems and seeing the potential of how do you navigate and create something that's really positive. And so I think that entrepreneurial spirit that I could have when I was a mm -hmm. consultant and when I was in advertising agencies lent itself very well, but I never did anticipate that I was going to be a gin distillery owner. I was well, not on my vision board when I was 22. <laughs> well, and it's a funny story because, as I understand it, you and Lee are in the car, headed back from Savannah. Yes, that was 2013. Mm -hmm. you're batting around ideas of, do we want to do something else? You're at that point where you're thinking, do we want to keep going the executive route? Or right, do you and I was facing a layoff at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was whether or not we had two boys that were so tiny. that I think, I think Ethan was maybe five and yeah. Brennan was two. Uh, and so at that point, you're, you really do have to make a decision of, okay, do I want to go that executive route and realize the trade-offs mm -hmm. personally, or do I want to kind of start and think about what could we do together? Uh, and gin was a hobby, right? So yeah. that was always something that we were trying new gins. We would go into liquor stores. We'd see what kind of gin cocktails were on menus. Uh, the craft cocktail bar scene was just kind of getting going in 2013 in the Southeast. Uh, and it was, it, I think it was a light bulb moment. There wasn't any preconceived notions of when we started that conversation that it was ever going to be about being distillers. It just wasn't. And the way that Lee likes to say it is I always had these grandiose ideas. <laughs> uh, and it was whether or not I actually saw that I could take them and run with them. I think he was very surprised by the fact that the moment we got back, I started building the business case. I started doing the research, just trying to even understand if it was a feasible opportunity. Almost to prove to yourself, it's not. You have, right. to, you have to go down that path. Right, to see you if do. You do. And uh, I started talking at that stage, knowing that I was facing this layoff. It was a it was a really unique situation in the corporate environment because you have to stay in that seat for the transition of what you're going to be doing. Like we were doing a licensing deal with a major pharmaceutical company out of the Northeast. And so lawyers and pharma take quite a long time to do those kind of deals. We knew it was coming. I had no budget, so it's not like I was running anything. So all of my colleagues started to help me kick the tires. Yeah, because oh, yeah, wow. we had to go into the office. And so I would start talking to them, and, and they were just really great sounding boards. To the point where the woman that I reported into, she was the chief commercial officer, her and her husband are investors. 
How so, awesome. Yes. I never heard that yeah, story. Yeah. So Liz had, she, I think I told her probably the moment I got back from Savannah that it was something. I'm sure she was probably like, oh, okay. Yeah, she's going to start a gin distiller, a digital marketer. But she was with me through the next year of planning the business case and seeing the feasibility. And yeah, so she, they signed on. That was really fantastic. That's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, I mean, people have said it for years, but it's a kind of match made in heaven with your marketing and business uh -huh. skills and his chemist skills. Yes. It was kind of, people could say it was kind of meant to be. I think so. I think so. And he was not a gin drinker, though, when we got married, yeah. right? So he was definitely the the beer guy. And he didn't like the taste of martinis in any way, shape, or form. And I think I got him through the Hendrix route. So Tangeray was just, Ugh. oh, he couldn't handle it. I, I really still enjoyed all types of gin, you know, and, but he was not. He was not a London Dry. Um, mm -mm. So the contemporary gin is what hooked him in. And uh, so he was as on board and figuring out the botanical complexities of what we wanted to do with, with conniption uh, right from day one. So it was always a team effort, tag team effort. How hard was it? I, I, there've got to be some funny stories at the kitchen table when you're mixing <laughs> and you're going, okay, a dad of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. There've got to be some where you spit it across the room. Oh, I'm surprised I've never told you about uh -uh. how this all came to be. Yeah. So we had a good 30 to 40 individual distillates, right? So think about mm -hmm. them as almost like vodkas of these individual botanicals. So we had juniper from Italy and from Croatia and Bulgaria, all these different taste profiles that we had to narrow in on, and then all of the different types of citrus. And the wonderful thing about having a chemist is he knew the concentrations of the botanical in everything that he had done so that he was counting the drops out of a pipette. Oh, wow. Yeah, to do the hand blending. And yes, it was at the kitchen table. And it was often before we would go to church. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's this. That's the strange. And we have it. We're a very progressive church family. And even our, our minister, he loves to talk about this about how he knew from day one. He's like, I'm going to have gin distillers in my congregation. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. And he's he's our age, so it was great. How long did it take to refine the final recipe? The formulas took us about a year. Oh wow! They really did. Yeah. From start to finish of research, so I had done a lot of navigating uh, what was going on in the gin industry mm -hmm. in England because that was really where the renaissance was focused. Uh, so all these new players were entering the market, trying to see what was catching on. It wasn't just a trend line. Uh, and creating really good flexibility for cocktails. I think where the gin community kind of went awry in the last five to six was that they were creating new gins, which were all lovely, but they didn't have necessarily the same kind of cocktail applicability that they need to have. So gin being an 85% of your class, classic cocktails, you need to really make sure that you know what the personality of that gin is going to do when you add it to a cocktail. So that was part of our formula development, right? We knew, we always knew Conniption American Dry was going to be the lead skew, and it was going to be something that had to have mass appeal. We didn't want it to be a knockoff of Hendrix in any way. Right. But we also knew that the, the cold distillation method was going to really apply to delicate ingredients. Delicate ingredients for us are uh, some of the citrus uh, now in kinship, but in American dry, it's always been the cucumber 
uh, and the honeysuckle flower because you cannot get those any sort of fla uh, flavors out of that if you distill it. It has to be in a cold distillation method or an extract. And we knew we did not want to do extracts. Mm -hmm. The big guys, they're fine with using extracts. That matter to them. So that formula development, yeah, it took about us a year. Very different profiles of American to Navy, as you all know. Uh, and Navy was off of global cuisine research. So I'd taken a really distinct look at um, some, so definitely like Philippine. Uh, I think I looked at Thai. I remember looking at Indian, mm. trying to see, because they really have so much more botanical complexity in how they build their dishes. Interesting. And we knew that that was going to really transition well into making sure that the combination of botanicals would play out in a gen. And that's why Navy has just really unique botanical makeup. It's very different. Very different. Yeah. I have a funny story about Navy. <laughs> um, so I had a couple of years ago, I threw my own birthday party magazine, mm -hmm. which is the printer. And yeah. I walk and I had just basically sent my mass email to everyone I knew. And I said, I'll be there at five o'clock. Sure. So I walk in and Colby behind the bar says gin and tonic. And I said, yep. And he said, we're out of the American. And I said, just pour the Navy. And Kevin goes, no. He said, she's going to be here all night. And she, can, she, she cannot have that. I was like, really? And I said, how dare you be out? Yeah. But, and I think now I get it why I like it so much because mm -hmm. you just said it. It mixes well with cocktails. Yes. You know, I'd had very unpleasant experiences mm -hmm. with Jen before. Yep. And I just came from a meeting with someone. And I told them what we were talking about on the podcast today. And he goes, oh, it's like putting a pine cone in your mouth. Yep. And I said, then you, and I said, I'm going to solve this because you've never had conniption. Yeah. It's totally different. Completely. Right. <laughs> and I think we have that mindset that London dries are still the majority of the gins. And they're not the majority of the mm -hmm. gins that are distilled in the United States at all. No. There are very few London dries. Uh, and so for us, it's, it's how do you, and the, there is a gin wheel of botanicals. We kind of talk about it during our tours. It's how do you balance it out, right? So juniper, of course, is the main ingredient in gin or main flavor profile in gin, not main ingredient. I would say that potent side of juniper is also dependent upon how you distill your gin, right? So there's different methods mm -hmm. of distillation. Our vapor infusion method already lends itself to a very delicate impart of juniper. Like there's a lot of nuance to the juniper berry through that process versus if we were like steeping it like a tea in the in the base spirit before we like you get all a lot more robustness of the right. potency of that pinene. We don't have that. So juniper in balance in a botanical wheel really means that how do you how do you look at the savory notes to the sweet notes, the spice notes to your fruit? And American, you're spot on. American has always been they must go crisscross back and forth across that mm -hmm. that wheel. And it must be pretty much like no one is fighting for dominance in the gin. It's just, yeah, there's a lot of layers to the to American Dry. And you're still doing tours. We are. Yes. We have narrowed down how many go on a tour. So pre-COVID, we'd have upwards on a Saturday. We used to run three to four tours every Saturday. And I'd say we had 30 to 40 people per tour, uh, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. But uh, we just realized post-COVID, no one was going to want to go back to that. So our tours cap at 10 to 12. Well, and I'll tell you, I'm not a tour person, and I'm really not a processes person. <laughs> I 
which makes me sound simpleton. <laughs> That's I'll, why you have a cocktail bar. <laughs> but, I, but I will own that I learned so much on that tour. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, and I know that the rest of the world, a lot of people don't realize it because the more people I tell that the only difference between vodka and gin is juniper. juniper. And they're like, there's got to be more to it. I'm like, nope. that's it. I said, I've Melissa told me that, and now I get it. And I also understand why a lot of gin distillers have a vodka and mm-hmm. vodka have gin. Yes. Because it's it, it's same base spirit. Yes. Yes. You're spot on. I had no idea. No. That. And that's part of why Lee and I wanted to found the U.S. Gin Association in 2021, 2021. Mm-hmm. Because it was for us realizing that getting knowledge out about gin where it's an well perceived as an accessible spirit mm-hmm. that it's not just a craft cocktail spirit we have to go right at that heart of it that gin becomes accessible once people realize that it is not like the things that were in your grandparents cabinet and that that crossover to vodka i mean i think you and i have talked about right so mm-hmm. we know advertising yeah and it was smirnoff oh, they went right after the martini in the 1960s and that's the only reason that Martinis changed from gin to vodka is because of that brand in Absolutely. the 1960s. Otherwise, it was always gin. Mm-hmm. And and even dirty martinis are gin martinis. Right. Like, and so even in Corpse Survivor, when I see a modifier come back that they've asked to sub out the dirty martini to take out Navy and to put in a vodka, and I'm like, it sort of hurts my heart. Oh. It really does. <laughs> and I understand that everybody has their own thing, but... Well, the same yeah. banker said to me, oh, I drink vodka because I can drink it with anything. And I just looked at him and shook my head. I said, you yeah. <laughs> you need to be, because there are other options, but people yeah. have these perceptions they that do. stick with them. They do, yeah. The and that, that major vodka brand, U.S. Distilled Vodka, yeah, yeah, has done a, a really good, good job, job at pushing that. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it has. A local icon since 1949 and where Raleigh comes to celebrate, savor, and enjoy. Village District is celebrating 75 years of tradition and taste. You can join the celebration for their 75th anniversary on Saturday, April 20th from 3 to 8 p.m. on Woodburn Road. Enjoy live music, pop-ups, a kid-friendly area, and the launch of their Village 75 beer, exclusively brewed by Standard Beer and Food. For more event details and other Village District happenings, you can follow Village District on Instagram at shopvillagedistrict, Visit their website at shopvillagedistrict.com or sign up to receive texts by texting the word village to 919-701-0202. Yes. <laughs> um, but I will say I've turned into a gin snob. You, the other thing you've taught me <laughs> is that I've, turned, I've also turned into a tonic snob. Oh, yes. Oh. I'm, I'm proud of you for that. That's oh. great. Mm-hmm. I was in L.A. for the national championship game. Yeah. And, of course, I would love for them to have had conniption at SoFi, but they didn't. Yeah, I'm we're working not in on California it. yet. I no. know. We're, yep. we're going to get mm-hmm. you there. But so I had Hendrix. And at the end of the game, they were out of Hendrix. And so he goes, Tangeray. I was like, oh. oh. Yeah. Switching from Hendrix to Tangeray. Yeah. Like mid- you mm. know, but but at least I give them credit. They had decent tonic. I love the tonic that you make. I wish you would. <laughs> I know you package have it put that. I think you should package your tonic. Oh. Yeah. So the one in the G&T, the yes. canned cocktail. Yes. I really love pairing and coming up with tonics that go really well with the gin itself. So when we thought about doing canned cocktails, so right, that was 2018. Yeah. 
And we were one of the first canned cocktails on the market completely in the United States. And certainly the first in North Carolina. Yeah, and most people they didn't don't know realize they, that. Yeah. No, I mean, none of the big guys had thought about canned cocktails at all. It was all focused on the canned seltzers. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I was mm -hmm. never going to go for that. The tonic recipe, we tried it out at Charleston Food and Wine in 2018 because I'd worked hard on it. And I was like, that, we, we sample 3,000 people the whole weekend. If they don't like it, it's not going to fly into a right. canned cocktail. They asked for it then too. They're like, where can I buy this? Where can mm -hmm. I buy this? <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think when you start with all natural tonic, so quinine is, in, you know, from the infusion of the cinchona bark. So the fact that we do that and then we paper filter it so there's no residue, no sediment at all, yeah. very beautiful sort of uh, amber hue to it. And then we create the tonic and it's, you know, obviously tonic has sugar. Oh, it's yeah. very hard not to to have a tonic with that without that. And I, we have not played with any sort of sugar alternatives do, do for not. keto. Well, Please. my mother has asked for a, a keto tonic, and I understand it, but I'm right. like, that's a that's a big ask. This is a big <laughs> for ask. Me, for and me it's to like play it's with. so good. It's like you know, I hate it when they take something that's so good and then try to make the the healthy version or the this <laughs> version, and you're like, okay, I'd rather I'd rather do it in moderation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I there might be still something with monk fruit. I think I think I could figure it out, but I haven't had time to play with it. But yeah. yes, so all of those botanicals that I put into that tonic really then balance out with the American dry in the in the can, and then it's just it's really fun to just have on a hot summer day. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. It is so you you can drink it straight out of the can. Yeah, but if you want to pour it on ice, it's even better. But it's, yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Thank you. And I, um, and that's one of the ones that got us recognized pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Right. And then COVID turned everything on its head. You know, and that's where I realized I was, I was thinking about you and you were one of the first to start bottling cleaner to help yes, out. Yes. Hand sanitizer. Hand too. sanitizer mm -hmm. and all of that. Yep. When the glass shortage happened, <laughs> you didn't just put your gin in a wine bottle <laughs> Right. You, you did a campaign, though. You, yes. An education pivot campaign. Bottles. You pivoted. Yes. Yep. And and most people would have just done it and went, ugh, I don't, you know. But you yep. really tried to educate the public of it's the same thing. Same thing. And I didn't want to do this. Right. But thankfully, we only had to do it in our home market. Right. Because North Carolina was going to forgive us for it. Oh, sure. None of our distributors in other states were going to allow it. So well, it's because your bottles are so beautiful. <laughs> Thank I you. I mean, they really are distinctive. <laughs> they are. They are. They And the, the fact that it was a stock bottle that then we screen printed when we started, because that's all we could afford, right? right? We were by the bootstraps in every way. We had started the custom bottle process in 2020. So it kind of... To how to take a hiatus, as you could imagine. But we picked it up pretty close towards the end of 2020. And then we saw what was happening in 21 with the supply shortages and everything in glass. So we had no idea that our bottle was going to stop manufacturing in the in the country. I mean, to be told that at the end of 21, you're like, oh my God, we have, I mean, we are gonna run out of gin. It was, yeah, that was a panic moment for sure. For sure. a, there have to have been. A oh, few. there are so many. Uh, I mean that, but that that's one of the most recent ones. Oh, yes. yeah, I mean, and that's <laughs> a, that's part of being a business owner. But you're also in an industry that. Yeah. I mean, the other thing in the that you'll be ten years old technically this year. I know. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. It is. Yeah. I I I still feel like we're just out of the gate. Oh. 
You we really do. I feel like you're turning around. You've got a new product, and I know we're going to talk about that before the end because I am sure if I know yeah, you, there's, some things. there's yeah, something I have in some the things. works. Yeah, but the laws have changed. When you first opened, you couldn't oh, even Carolina sell has, a bottle. Yeah, the modernization of North Carolina for the distilleries has been phenomenal. I mean, we had gotten uh, a lobbyist who had really worked with the legislature, um, so he's very well known. So we had started working with him in 2014. Uh, when an, uh, the Distillers Association was essentially just getting founded. And then I was VP at that time through, I think it was through 2016, 2017. Um, my memory's a little fuzzy. But we worked on, at that point, remember when we launched and the tasting room opened October 1st, 2015, I could only sell you one bottle per person per 12 months. It wasn't per year, not through the calendar. Right. It was rolling 12. And we had to keep records. We had that. to keep records of your driver's licenses. Talk about the liability I did not want to have, but right. North Carolina was was making it, so we had to. And then in 2017, it turned to the five bottles per person per right. rolling 12. And then 2019 was when it it's almost not a daily limit. I mean, there is a daily limit, right. but you're not gonna you're not gonna get Hit there, it. right? Um we still can't sell to directly to bars or restaurants that's just off the table in North Carolina. Hopefully, at some point, we can have a conversation with them. Um, but then it allowed us to pursue the cocktail bar. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of the smaller distilleries would not have made it through 2020 without that model. Like, thank goodness that started when it did. Well, it's like breweries and yes. Brewers. It's the brewery model. It mm -hmm. is the brewery model. Yeah, except for the direct distribution. Yes. Right. Yeah, it is. And I mean, they were surviving and, and I would say in some ways thriving yeah. because people could get back in and, and yeah. during that time. Yeah. I curbside was a, a really big way that we 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 grew only a couple of points in 2020. Um, but it was because of this local community. Hands down. They showed up. As soon as we started curbside right before Mother's Day in 2020, we were just, we had the cocktail kits. It was definitely a, a silver lining through the whole thing for our, for all of us. Um, I think I, along with a lot of people, learned how to make really <laughs> at home cocktails. I did. Really yes. sort of thought, yep. okay, I can do this. So, and taking classes and mm -hmm. watching people like your people yep. make cocktails and teach. And, and it sort of, you know, gave us a rejuvenation of making cocktails mm -hmm. at home, not just opening a bottle of wine. Yeah. And it, it's not in the taking away the intimidation factor, no. right? I, I think that was a, a big part of having really good conversations with our guests at that time, with consumers at that time. You know, it's so many cocktails are just three ingredients. Right. And that's it. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be stirred behind a cocktail bar and right. get and all fancified. <laughs> and a lot of times, the way you mix it might be, you'll, you'll noodle with it, and you yes. might get it better than where you like oh, it somewhere else. Oh, for sure. Else. Yeah. You can work with your own percentages and everything else. Mm -hmm. Kinship, I can only say, it, it appears, and at least from my circle, has been a roaring success. Yes. Kinship yeah. is the color-changing. Uh-huh. Uh, the butterfly pea flower. Yes. Yes. That's the gin that we launched in August of twenty. 22. Uh, yeah. I I am in awe of how well this, this gin is doing, but I'm also really proud of it. I'm proud of our team. I'm proud of how we 
changed course so quickly to realizing that this was an opportunity that we had to to grasp. Our fear was when we came out with it was that there was going to be a sense that we were going after the the major gin that was right. in yeah. So we all know that that being an import from Canada, the basis of why we came out with it when we did is that the FDA Right. They come up with what's called the generally regarded as safe ingredient list that all distillers, all food manufacturers, everybody has to follow. If it is not on that grass list, as they call it, you cannot use that ingredient. That means that not necessarily that it's harmful, but they might have not done the research. Right. Butterfly pea flowers were one that they had not done the due diligence on. Right. So it was it was not on the grass list. No distiller could touch that. And it wasn't until in uh, 21 that they said, and I think it was the end of 21, they said, okay, it's now an approved ingredient. So we had a competitor, an import that doesn't have to abide by the FDA rules, come in, use that, get really amazing market share, which we were just sort of floored by. And, and we're like, you know, we can create a better gin that's also purple and shows really that gin distillers in the United States have a right to be doing mm -hmm. this. So we are going head-to-head -head against them in several markets. I'm sure. There's a big difference in the two products. There is. First and foremost, not just the botanicals right. are completely different. It's also based on the proof, right? So we are about four percentage points higher mm -hmm. than the other one, which means to a bartender and also to you when you have it that the gin doesn't get lost in the cocktail. Right. Which, and, and then the other thing is that we infuse our butterfly pea flowers for a minimum of 12 hours. So it doesn't, butterfly pea flowers is really just amazing uh, dried flour that we source that has no flavor at all. Like, so it's just a gorgeous hue. Like we, we thought, okay, there's got to be some floral ingredient right. that floral flavor or what, none. Like none. There's nothing that you get out of it at all. So that's why actually honeysuckle is in kinship because we're like, well, we still need some floral element yeah, to it. Something. The color of kinship versus our competitor is very different. Like we have a really beautiful hue that mm -hmm. then holds up when we add the citrus or the tonic and we see the pH shift and it turns purple or purpley pink to blue. And, and it, it works so in multiple cocktails. It does. Now, the only thing I will say... <laughs> is I have a friend who has started to order kinship uh, last word cocktails. Does everybody know what a last word is? Okay. So <laughs> so last word being with the chartreuse. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she's now calling it, try the gray stuff. It's delicious <laughs> because it is a gray cocktail. And so I have to figure out some way to bring that into Corpse Reviver because. Yeah, try the gray <laughs> stuff. It's <laughs> so funny. You launched the rosé. We kind of the skipped over the can. Yeah, yeah, in 2019. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And that's going really well. Now, none of those RTDs, ready-to-drink cocktails, are in any distribution anymore. Okay. So that's what I mean when COVID. COVID hit and the, the opportunity to get distribution, not only for craft distilleries, but for canned cocktails, shut down. Okay. And it shut down because the big guys entered the market, right? So they needed to come up with a way to get increased revenue with bars and restaurants being closed across mm -hmm. the entire world. Canned cocktails were the way to Everybody do it. Everybody jumped in. Yes. So they all jumped in and they can get into an own shelf space in a way that right. we cannot compete. We were figuring out what we were going to need for our marketing spend. 
And I, when I tell you, we needed to have $2 of marketing spend for every dollar of profit. Wow. There was no way we could do that. None. I mean, we would, we would be losing so much money. Right. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't make sense to put all that effort no. when you've got the other products that you have. That's right. And development. That's right. Yeah. So um, because it were, they were already doing pretty well in North Carolina, we stayed the course in North Carolina. We still think that they are a viable mm -hmm. product for home base. Um, but it doesn't even have pickup in – it's not even available really in Wilmington. Mm -mm. Wilmington buys no more than maybe 15 cases of G&T the entire summer. I'm we pretty sure in Wilmington I bought out you every, did. I walked in I mean, and I bought out, out everything they had. Yeah, we're not available in Outer Banks at all. It's crazy. I'm like, come on, guys. There's you just yes. you just the connection <laughs> to local. I just it's like, why is it so hard? It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, there's just a lot of bureaucracy. You know, they all run individually. You know, the 160 plus boards are individually managed. It's just it's hard. It's hard. It's, hard. It's, it's not, if we could come up and mirror the Virginia model in some way, because Virginia is our closest control state. If I were to have launched Sprit, uh, Rose Spritz in 2019, what I would have been able to do if I was a Virginia distillery is to say, these are the regions that I would want to make sure that, and because I have a demographic matchup to these regions in these stores. And day one, they would have been in every single store. So you are judged on viability of a product that is equal, mm -hmm. you know? I right. mean, the fact that so many of our hometown distilleries have had a hard time staying in ABC is because they don't really get a shot. Right. You know, and they've been focused on this North Carolina section, which, you know, the Distillers Association, I, I think, I mean, if we if we had our druthers, and and I think with the with the changeover, the, the management of, the ABC commission, I think there's a lot more opportunity to have the conversation. I, I do not know many distillers in this state that want a North Carolina section. Yeah. So my biggest thing is, you know, I'm happy if you duel us, if you put us in the gin section and the North Carolina section, but they oftentimes don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So you have to go to conniption and see it in North Carolina, which means any consumer thinks that then we are not as good as the major gin right. brands that they see in the gin section. They think we're worse. And I'm like, we're in 17 states. Right. I, we have viability, so we should be in the gin but section. I, but I think that's true. I think people look at it, that section, unfortunately, yeah. and shouldn't, because you should look at it as, try it. Right. It's local. Right. It may be wonderful. You may hate it, and I get no one wants to waste money. But you look at that section with a, with a sort of in a different filter. They do, yeah. And I, I yeah. Everybody does. And I wish I wish we could figure out a way to switch the conversation about it. Like there's been conversations about having more of an advertising or marketing campaign around North Carolina distilleries and everything that we're creating and our roots in North Carolina agriculture or, or partnerships. Like we are not in NC Ag, but we have partnerships with Slingshot and with Fideri and for the liqueurs. And I... I don't know. I don't I don't know if the general ABC consumer will ever wander to the North Carolina section first. Right? They they you you shop it like you shop Harris Teeter or CVS. Right. You know exactly which, which aisle. aisle you're going to. So I'm excited the February issue will drop in a, two weeks and it's our best bars mm -hmm. issue. Yeah. 
We have four distillers from across North Carolina that are advertising with us. Yes. But we also had an illustrator create a map. Oh, great. And we did. We picked some distilleries across the state yeah. that we think people should try. That as you're traveling, oh, that's pick amazing, this up, get Gina. This Thanks for doing that. I just really I had no idea you guys. That's thank you. Well, that's that kind of what I do when I, you know, you, I know you do this or you used to do it. Uh-huh. Is now we used to travel and we always go in the ABC store looking for bourbons. Yeah. Now I'm looking for distillers and I'm going for gin. And yeah. I, I mean, there's some some good ones. Yes. I mean, there wherever are. we travel, we usually stop and bring something home, mm-hmm. which kind of leads me. Well, first. <laughs> what are you working on? What am I working on? So what's, uh, it seems like the, if you take the calendar and you take Melissa, something, Melissa and Lee have released <laughs> something almost every year. I know Kinship just came out, but there's probably something there in the works. Is, Can you, you talk know, generally? I, yeah, because I, why not, right? There's nothing that's close to the vest. So we are working on the barrel. So the barrel's mm-hmm. coming back, right? So we had launched um, the barrel series in 2020. Uh, it was a variant of Conniption Navy Strength that sat in um, High West bourbon barrels for 10 months. It's good. Very well loved. Mm-hmm. Yes. We only had 4,500 bottles and they sold out within four months. And, they, and it was only a North Carolina product. It didn't get outside of the state at all. So... We could not do it in 21 or 22 based on the supply chain issues with the glass. And I, as I understand it, it was going to be sort of Lee did one, you did one, and Lee That's did. correct. Okay, so. That's correct. So I had sourced the barrels. I had uh, red barrels from Napa Valley from an, another uh, female-led and female distiller, uh, not distiller, sorry, uh, winemaker. Mm-hmm. And it was really, I had already narrowed in on the botanical recipe. Everything was set. And then we couldn't put, because gin in wine barrels does not sit very long. Like it's a max of 90 days. Uh-huh. So as soon as you're out of the barrel, where do you put it? I have no bottles. No bottles. Uh, no bottles. So the barrels dried out. So we had, I think, 12 or 15 barrels that then I had to sell and scrap. So, and they were cosmetic use. They couldn't be refilled. Right. So that was, that was heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple of ideas, and I think this is what we're going to do. And I think I'm going to be doing the experimental this year. And Lee is going to bring back by popular demand some variant of what he did. Oh, neat. Because he, you know, it was just people have been asking for it. They yeah. want it back. So he's, he's looking at sourcing barrels that then it can come back mm-hmm. in, in that form. That would be the major release. I'm looking at so many different fun things. So I am looking at a sweet vermouth barrel. Ooh. But I'm not quite sure that's going to be the one that leads. And then I'm looking at um, scotch barrels, peated scotch, which I think is going to win. So actually sourcing them from distilleries in Scotland. Mm. Yeah. So I have no idea where this is going to go. So that the lovely thing about again gin in a Scotch barrel, even it's not going to sit long. I was going to ask. It's going to oh, flavor. I have no be. idea. That's what's really fun about this, right? So I'll probably source about six barrels, which would get me maybe three thousand bottles of this one. Um, but I have a good idea what the botanicals are going to be. I just have no idea on the length of time. And, and I think the other thing that could happen is that it could infuse so quickly and I could get layers of the smoke 
that if I then take it out, I might actually then have to back blend it with um, unaged gin mm -hmm. in order to really pull those layers back out and have it not be too tight because it could get very, very tight. When you do the experimental part mm -hmm. of it, yeah. do you have to do a whole barrel for it to be successful? I will. Okay. I will have to do a whole barrel. And so that's why I'm thinking I'll probably get six and one will be sort of that sacrificial lamb of pulling it every, my guess is it's probably going to be pulled every seven days to see what's going on. So now, um, whether it's Elijah Craig or Woodford or whoever mm -hmm. will come into the market and they'll do some private labeling, like yeah. some bars will go together and do a barrel of this or that. Yeah. Is that kind of thing done with Jen? No, it's not. Why not? I don't know. Because we have, had so cool. we have had conversations with some really big players about that. Like, uh, because my, my hope would have been to hone in on a larger craft bar that mm -hmm. are, might have several across the country that would want to do a conniption that is specifically for them. Mm -hmm. And we could have them come in and they can be distiller for a day and we could run through it. I, I think so many in the bar and restaurant industry are trying to just get their legs underneath them again. Yeah. And I mean, we're the same. Uh, I just, it's just not the right time for it. But you know, it'd be fun. Mm -hmm. I'll go out on a limb here and say it. Now that Dram has seven locations across <laughs> North Carolina. He's already Kevin. doing something. He, Kevin's already doing something. Ah. Yeah, not with me. Oh, I didn't no. know. No. I know. What I'm was putting, he thinking? No, I'm putting him on the spot. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, yeah. I didn't know that. He's already working with a distiller, mm -hmm, a gin yeah. distiller. He's and uh, I'm well aware that I probably should not know this, uh, but I do trouble. know this. He's um, in big trouble. And I think well, he, he hinted at it. But I don't know the I don't know the details. Yeah. But I mean, it's not it's not a it's not an American distiller. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna ask. You probably want to bet with him if you want that. I'm gonna give him a hard there, time. But... Exactly. <laughs> so, so I think people always, especially given what you do, uh -huh. if you can't drink conniption, you're somewhere you can't get it. Yeah. What What's your go to? So I really enjoy uh, if I'm going to head towards like a bee's knees cocktail, I will always go towards Bar Hill. Okay. Uh, I love uh, their ethos, um, having worked at Burt's Bees and um, the importance of pollinators. And so Bar Hill is distilled from honey. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they have a vodka and then they have a gin and their gin is only with honey and juniper. So they don't have any other botanicals, but it, they have layers of flavor in there mm -hmm. because of the fact that the bees have imparted so many different floral notes into the honey itself. It's really cool. I have never yeah, tried it. Yes. So Bar Hill, I definitely uh, recommend everybody getting a, a hold of that. The other one that has been around for a while that I have always adored, it's actually the first gin post-prohibition to come back in uh, the United States. It, and it's Junipero. So Junipero is out of California. Uh, they have national distribution, though I will say I think they're only special order in North Carolina, um, which isn't a surprise. But because they were the first gin post-prohibition, they have emulated London Dry, but they haven't gone so far into Juniper. It's a very approachable gin. So just, yeah, so that one, that one is just, if I see that, I would love, you know, yeah. I would love to go for either of those. Wow. I have two gins to try. 
Um, oh, we can talk gin all the time. I mean, you know, I have 200 plus bottles of gin at the house. So Gina, if you ever want to try. I, well, I am working <laughs> on my small collection is 20 bottles. So I'm at least getting started. <laughs> I need to take a picture of our storage ottoman. Yeah. I, yeah. So you open it up, right? And I, I, they're, they're, it's full. It's That's full. Awesome. And then we have a, a cabinet in the uh, keeping room full. Yeah. This is a lot of gin. A lot of gin in our house. Of course. It should be. You're <laughs> but we hardly drink anything but our own. All right. So, and your favorite drink made with gin, your favorite cocktail. You have a favorite? Oh, it'll always be a martini. Okay. Yeah. But I think I play around with the different styles of vermouth. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why Corpse Survivor has a specific martini menu. Because we also like to rotate in some of the new vermouths that we're trying if it's out of Spain or France. Um, there's some really great things that are happening in vermouths. And what I love to do is kind of build from the ground up. So trying that uh, vermouth on its own, pulling out the notes for that, then marrying it to the gin, and then whether or not it needs what kind of garnish or what percentages of vermouth to gin. My mom will basically, she's like uh, the Winston Churchill thing where you take a nod towards France. That was his thing to acknowledge that there would be any sense of vermouth in his martini. It was essentially just chilled gin. <laughs> so that's the way my mother drinks her, her martinis. I do like vermouth, but not. I will never go for a half and half. Yeah. I still want it to be a note. Just a not, touch. Yes. Not, not a perfect martini where it's even inverted. I don't. I will never go for that. But Well, I have a Christmas party every year. And for the mm-hmm. last two years, it's on Christmas Eve. And it's an open, uh, you know, open house yeah. with uh, for family. Yeah. But the last two years, I've hired a bartender. Good for you. And That's I, great. And, and it's amazing how it's changed the dynamics of people wanting to try a cocktail. Maybe they'll try mm-hmm. something they've never had before. Mm-hmm. And so I opened up all the gins and let people sort of play with those. And yeah. we ended up making all kinds of martinis. We went through two and a half bottles of Kenship. <laughs> it, I was like, wow. Oh, you should have sent me some photos. Oh, That's great. It was so fun. And people wow. were having fun trying it in different ways. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'd say right now it has been a Kenship martini. I just, I love the color so much too. It's it's refreshing and fun and just pretty. Yeah. One last thing I want to talk about is yes. when I was trying to track you down for a story a while back and I couldn't reach you. And when I finally got you on the phone, you go, yeah, I'm judging Jens. And I don't remember if you said 100 or 60. And I was like, oh, my. I'm like, <laughs> that sounds like more fun than I can stand. You go, not really. You're yeah. spinning in a bucket. Yeah. But tell me about how you got into this and what do you think? I love being a gin judge. There are not many mm-hmm. in, in the country uh, and not many of them that are women either. I got into it because I was asked from David Smith, who is a gin writer. So he's written several books on gin. He also organizes not just gin uh, competitions, but spirit competitions. He uh, lives just outside of London. Uh, So I met him in 2014. Um, So he and I started to get to know each other at that point and he runs one for American Distilling Institute every year. Uh, that's the one that I've been invited to, to judge two years in a row. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about this year, so fingers crossed. But, yeah, so I, what I love about it is that the gin judges are people who know gin, right? You not put on a gin table unless you really are aware of botanical blends, distillations, um, and different styles of gin, right? Because there's so there are 
10 plus styles of gin. Uh, so you really, you need to be prepared to, when you see a flight, right? And flights are typically six to eight gins that are put um, on the table in front of you. They're put into a tasting glass. All we see is the number. So I've never seen a bottle. It never comes by. Uh, and then what I have on my spec sheet is what style of gin it is and the proof. That's all we've got. And you are assigned to a table of four. You have someone who's who's the captain of the of the table. And you go through usually anywhere from five, probably five to six flights in the morning and not as heavy of an afternoon. Oftentimes that's about four flights. Maybe it could be more than that. I'd say in it's two and a half days. So um, usually I try anywhere from 75 to 100 gins in, in, that, in those, that two-day period. But I love it. I absolutely I was love say. it because I and, and and I'm the only gin distiller at the table, right? So it is a gin journalist, uh, a bar owner, bar you know, um, bar owner. Yeah, definitely, he's not a bartender. And then and we've had the same table for a couple of years. And then uh, so actually, one of the women who I got to know several years ago, she's uh, the gin queen in Australia. They flew her in, so I, uh, I love her. So it was the two of so two women, two men at the table, and what you do is you have to taste the flight, uh, and then start to write your notes and where you're thinking that the it's all numerical, uh, and then you open it up for conversation across the entire flight. So every single judge has to be done with that flight and have the their scores in before the conversation starts. Interesting. And then you start to have dialogue about what did you like, what did you not like, what are this, what are the notes that you're picking up, and we have very detailed notes that we write. Were you nervous the first time? Oh, for sure. I mean, sure. that sounds nerve wracking. For you're like, sure, because you I, want like, what if my palate is not what I think it yeah, is? Yeah, and right? what if everybody else? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, and it's. I think it has really reinforced that I know gin in a way that is unique. Um, and I think you see it in kinship, right? So kinship, the botanical recipe in there, that build is mine. I was really proud of building that, that gin, understanding now having been a judge for a couple of years of where I wanted to take it. You know, it's not like wine where you swish it around your mouth, right? I mean, you actually have to drink it. I, no, 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 no. no. Are you like, kidding? I would be like so gone in, in the I first just, flight. No, you do. It's very similar. I'd say you never, The one of the biggest differences is you do not aerate it, right? Okay. You don't need to aerate spirits. There's nothing that's going to open up. It is what it is. And you can dilute it. Oftentimes you can add water because if you want to see if there's a fault, mm -hmm. if there's a distillation fault especially, that usually shows itself right around 20% ABV, so 40 proof. So I have to take it down because mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, I know where it went wrong. I know right. what kind of notes I'm getting off of it that the distiller has to fix. But yeah, we spit out, of course. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> well, I was, There's I, a lot of crackers no, and just, a lot of- Yeah, I was just trying to think about the, because you know, they have such flavors to them. Yes, they do. Yeah, and that the other thing I don't think I said is the gin table is usually not in this in the main room. So they like to put the gin judges over into a separate wing <laughs> because it's so, it interferes with the nosing on any other spirit. So oftentimes the judges are like, they don't want the gin in the same room. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> yes. It's really fun. Yeah. It's really fun. And it's, and it's, 
great because it's uh, judges from all across the country and as well as, now, as I said, internationally. Well, I think it speaks to how incredible the product is. Thank I mean, you. it really is. You're, you know, when we talk about, you know, just because you're in Durham and just because huh. you're in North Carolina. Right. This is a award-winning, worldwide award-winning gin. Yes. And people need to understand that. It's not, you didn't win a little prize in North Carolina. Not there's anything wrong with that. Right. But we're talking about worldwide yes. award-winning gin. Thank you. And yeah, and going against the big guys. Yes. Right. So the competitions we enter are not craft competitions. Right. If you haven't been, go to Corpse Reviver. Take the tour at Durham Distillery and then walk around at the back of the building and yes. go to Corpse Reviver. Yeah. Um, you've got all kinds of things. You don't have to just drink gin. It is lovely, <laughs> but there's no way you can go in there and not drink a gin and tonic or a cocktail or a Corpse Reviver or French yes. 75. I mean. Um, and this month are the mocktails. Yes. Yeah. We have a full mocktail menu too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's always something going on. Always. And we have jazz every Thursday now. Good to know. <laughs> Well, thanks for talking to me. You have, I definitely credit you. It is not a joke. I probably would not be the gin drinker I am today had I not met you. Oh, that's awesome. So, thank you. Thank you. This has really been lovely. This has been Office Talk with Raleigh Magazine. I hope after hanging out with us, you feel more like a Raleigh insider. You can find copies of our magazine around town or subscribe for $10 for 10 issues. We'd love it if you gave this podcast a rating and review and share it with your friends. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Gina Stevens. We'll see you again soon. Want more of Raleigh Magazine in between issues? Visit RaleighMag.com and subscribe to our newsletters. They come out Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Five-minute read keeps you up to date. And especially on Friday, dish on this. Where to eat, where to drink, what to do this weekend. Subscribe for free at RaleighMag.com.